Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 69 of Thrive Deeper. It is your humble host here, DJ Payne. And as some uh, keen listeners might be aware, I'm not sounding myself. I'm a little bit sick as I record this introduction and outro today. But uh, don't worry, I was in uh, full flight with uh, Matthew Jacoby as we recorded this episode about the book of First Peter. If you've been listening over the last couple of months, you would have heard us go through the Gospel of Matthew. That led us into the amazing book of Hebrews. We just finished the book of James. And now here we are in the uh, letter from the bold apostle himself, Peter. And Peter's going to call us to lift our eyes a little bit higher as we go through these uh, these amazing books. Keep on listening because we've also got a fantastic offer for all of you Sons of Korra fans out there. You want to get Sons of Korra product half price? Keep listening to this week's Thrive Deeper. Well, this is it, Matt. We are officially at the point this week where we are pre-recording an episode and you are in Europe as this episode goes out. Can you ring me and ask me how I'm going over there? Ask me, are the kids behaving themselves? <laughs> where do you go on the first... So this is so you, so you at the, at the time that this episode goes live, you will have, have left Australia three days ago. Yeah. Where's the first part of your trip? Uh, in Paris. We're staying, we're staying in Paris. So. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, I will have put refund. on a few kilos already, no, no, no doubt, eating now, pastries. Now, this is this is not your first trip to Paris. No, no. But it, it's this, this is our big, long-anticipated family holiday. Yeah. So we'd always talked about uh, taking the kids to Europe. So we've saved up and... This is it. This is it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. The great ex- the great family experiment. Yeah. Yeah. The, all five of you over there. I, I'm looking forward to following along on social media, on, mm. on the Instagrams and on the Facebooks and seeing okay. all the photos and stuff that come out of you sure. guys over there. Yeah. It'll be good. And we'll make sure that we link some stuff to the Thrive. I'll, I'll make sure I put lots of stuff there. I, I, I want to somehow work out while you're over there, I want you to do some sort of Thrive recordings. <laughs> You know, some it's somehow I don't know what yeah. exactly, mm. but you know, get, getting uh, you know an interview with somebody mm. over there or getting something done while you're yeah. over there, uh, you know, even if it's just you eating a pastry, sure. <laughs> talking about yeah. thrive or something, <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, well, this is it. We've uh, uh, for this week, episode sixty nine. Um, we are now entering into another book, and we're in yet another book here mm. in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I really appreciate this. We're entering into First Peter. We're going to be splitting First mm. Peter up over the two weeks. And uh, on this week, we're going to be beginning into First Peter. And I'm excited because it feels to me like we're at the end of a journey. And let me explain why, mm. Matt, because you're giving me a weird look. Mm. We, we spent a long time in the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, yeah. talking about what happened to the Jews yeah, you know, yeah. and, and to the Jewish people and what God was dealing with them. And then we entered into the book of Matthew, which is the most Jewish of all Gospels, talking about Jesus and his Jewishness Mm. as the Messiah. We then uh, went into Hebrews, Mm. which is a a book to the Jewish people, talking about the amazing continuation of of Jesus being the fulfillment and even better than all of the Jewish practices in Mm. the first covenant. We've looked at James, which is this ancient wisdom very early on from a very Jewish early church. And now First Peter is a letter finally to mm. the Gentile believers yeah. and not and bringing them into the faith. And Peter spends a long time as a Jewish man himself mm. really connecting yeah. this new movement of the church yeah. into the Jewish root system yeah. Yeah, that's of, right. of, that goes back thousands of years. Yeah. And I feel like ah, this is the culmination yeah. of all of this preparation here in First yeah. Peter. So he's he's writing to churches who are a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. Yes, and so he's uh, and look probably even mostly Gentiles by this stage. This is this letter's probably written around sixty two, yeah. 
Um, so by this stage, you've got churches that are mainly filled uh, with Gentiles, but but a core uh, a core of Jewish people. So yes, he is. He's connected them uh, with their with their Jewish roots. Um, it, it is written by Peter, uh, the apostle. In, yeah, the apostle uh, Peter. I mean, he's very clear at the start. The opening of the letter states that it's from Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, and so we should read it as such. I mean, you know, there's there's a um, there's a stream of critical scholarship that says, oh, no, that's it's a pseudonymous letter. It was written much later. Mm. And um, they've tried to say, uh, I mean, the, and the arguments really aren't strong. It's, it's mainly this thing of trying to push these things much later yeah. than, than, the, than the fact. But they have to actually demonstrate that pseudonymous writing wasn't, like, pseudonymous writing was a thing. Like, people did that. Now, explain, explain pseudonymous writing. Okay, sorry. Pseudonymous is when you write a document in uh, someone else's name. Under a pseudonym. Yeah, so like the Wisdom of Solomon. This is in the first century. There was a, a, a Jewish writing called the Wisdom of Solomon. Now, it wasn't written by Solomon, yeah. but it was kind of written in his name, right? Yes. Now, the problem is, is that, yes, pseudonymous writing did take place, but it never happens in epistles. No. People never wrote epistles under pseudonyms mm. so uh it's uh the fact that peter identifies himself then it's sent with messengers right to deliver to a church there's no way he would ever have got away or, or if 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 a uh, author who wasn't peter would have gotten away with this mm. situation it's no. just an, an extraordinary uh idea so look there's no reason to doubt uh that you know and again this comes back to perhaps a critical approach to the Bible that says we're treating it as guilty until proven innocent. That's that's it. At a methodological level, I have big problems with that approach. Yes. Uh, I, we should be, you know, the, 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 these people are our family. They paid enormously for the faith, mm. I believe absolutely demonstrated their integrity in mm. so many respects the early church. We have no reason to doubt that when this guy says it's, Peter writing that it yeah. is actually Peter, especially since it was accepted by the early church, and it was, and it was, you know, it, it had a long history of, of of it being accepted as that. Is that a problem with modern day scholarship, where you've sort of got to to make a name for yourself? You've got to absolutely. You've got to go. Oh, I've got absolutely. a controversial opinion that no one's heard before. Or? Yeah, it's it's like I mean, method. What what I call methodological doubt is just part of you. You, you just you never ex- accept a traditional view on something if mm. you're gonna. Uh, I guess you got more chance of being recognised. I mean, this is a very probably cynical uh, angle on this, but you got, in fact, to actually, um, it's expected in it, that that you question what the last, yeah, gr- you know, generation, the, what the last generation did, and you yeah. say no, it wasn't about that. And so things go in, in circles. So you get this endless circle of doubt. They said this. Well, I'm going to doubt that. And then the next generation is going to doubt you and the next generation is going to doubt them and the next yeah. generation is going to doubt them. So you actually never get to a point of decision yes. really on these things. And this was, this was actually Soren Kierkegaard, who's a Danish philosopher that I did my PhD on. This was his problem with methodological doubt. He said the problem with that sort of scholarship that says, well, okay, we're going to come to the text and we're just going to doubt everything that can be doubted, he says that will never end. That cycle will never end. And where does that lead you? You know, so, so it's it's the guilty until pr- proven innocent. Well, it, like um, that, you, you never ever. And Kierkegaard's point is, you're never ever going to get to a point of decision in that. You'll always end up. You'll always end up. You know, it's like, well, I doubt this, but then someone's going to doubt you, and then they're going to doubt that, and, and and so you get this endless doubt thing, which never enables any spiritual commitment in the no. end because spiritual commitment um, requires us to actually trust what we've received, right? Mm-hmm. And and so as, as a Christian, I realise I'm part of a family that stretches back to these early days. So if mm-hmm. I receive a letter uh, and, and, and the, the textual traditions are, are, you know, I mean, are so abundant, there's no, there's no reason uh, we have enough evidence to know that textually that these texts go back to original texts. Um, but if the writer of the text says, it's the apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter, here, mm. it's like, 
I have to have extraordinarily good reason yeah. to doubt that yeah. as opposed to needing extraordinarily good reason to believe it. Yes. Yeah. That's, love, yeah. that's the methodological decision I make as a person of faith. Yeah, yeah that's, I love that. I love that. That's a great and way I, to begin. And I believe that's entirely philosophically responsible as mm, well. Mm, mm. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you, Ornella. <laughs> I'm 100% with you. Uh, the, uh, so this is Simon Peter. This is that, was a little, that, that was a little rabbit hole I went down there. But, but I just account, I, I encounter this when I, when I read this kind of meta literature about, you know, literature about the authorship and the... Looking, yeah, the old, it's like, oh man, these these, these critical approaches to these letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's, we know that in the first century, these fishermen of Galilee didn't have the ability to write these letters yeah. and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, now hang on. You know, yeah. like he even says, I mean, Peter even says in this letter, and this is a controversial thing, I've got this guy who's yeah. who's writing it with me. Yeah, you know, that's type right. of thing. Like, they have I've scribes, got, yeah. <laughs> You know, and he, and he and people go, well, did they really like? And it does, again, it's just doubting yep. exactly what that means, who it is, who it is, and everything like that. But we know that you know we're going to come to the text, uh, you know, at face value, and accept the tradition that this is Simon Peter, mm. one of Jesus's closest friends, yep. the fisherman, um, who Jesus turned around and said, "On you know, your name is Simon." But you know, you're mm. Simon Peter. But on the on the truth that you have said that I am the Son of God, you know that I yep. am the Messiah. I'm going to build the church on this truth. Yeah, I'm going right. to, you know, yeah. and this is him. Yeah, as a right. leader, as a leader in the church, and he's and he's writing. And this is another, you know, there's different opinions about this. But we think at this stage he is writing from Rome. He, he is, yeah, he, which well, he, he calls, says from Babylon. He calls yeah. Babylon. Yeah, yeah, which is is consistent in the text because he's bringing all these allusions from the Old Testament. Mm. You know, in into into it, so he calls it Babylon, and uh, you know, and and look, he, he's he's a few years away from his martyrdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, this, this is not long before he's actually crucified upside down. Mm. Uh, so, um, and and he addresses a situation of persecution and hardship. Mm. Again, the the persecution is not yet persecution to the point of death. Yes. Um, but, but it soon will be. But they, these Christians are being ostracised. Yeah. And look, there's another interesting aspect about the um, uh, about the possible setting of this. Um, he says at the start of the letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles or sojourners, uh, however you want to translate that. Um, and he uh, says of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now, the interesting thing is we know that those settlements, they were Roman settlements yeah. uh, that were populated by people who were resettled there or who either resettled there, but we also know that lots of people were resettled in those areas who were basically evicted from Rome and often on religious reasons. Yeah. So it may well be that these Christians have actually been actually exiled from Rome and it seems that perhaps Peter is using their circumstances. They have been exiled from Rome. Uh, They've been resettled in these towns because the Romans wanted to create these Roman settlements and as I've said, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, these were all these areas Mm. of resettlement, Um, that they were resettled here and that Peter takes this opportunity to use this as a lesson it's like yes you've been exiled from rome and you 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 but actually you know what you are actually exiles from heaven yeah. you are it's like your your visitors mm. uh your visitors on earth mm. not mm. just strangers in in asia yeah. you're actually strangers on earth yeah. so he takes this a step further because they you know they're obviously cons- concerned about their circumstances they're bemoaning quite possibly yeah. If this background um, element is true, which is a good argument to be made for that, then they're bemoaning their situation. Well, while you're about it, folks, um, don't get too comfortable yeah. on earth yeah. because you are sojourners on earth, not just in Asia. And, and, he, and, he's, and he puts the stakes really high right from the beginning, knowing that he's talking to, you know, yes, there are Jewish people amongst them, but he's writing to a lot of Gentiles as well, new believers in this in this new way, in this new faith. Mm. And he's like, I'm writing to God's chosen people. I'm go- yep. writing to God, you know, God's yep. elect here. Yep. You're living as foreigners in, in, in these provinces. But but God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and has his spirit and his spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed him 
and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Like he puts the yeah. stakes right up high yeah. and grafts them in. Yeah, so remember, it's like remember who you are. Yeah. It's, I mean, and this is a lot about that. Just remember who yes. you are. Yep. You are not primarily Roman citizens. You are citizens of heaven. Yep. And I should just add the, the note, um, when I talk about Asia, I mean Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. Yes. yes. Um, so, this, so getting back to that point, this is um, an important theme in this. Now, I was interested when I looked at this chapter, and I really pulled this chapter apart, right? Because right. it's quite complicated. It's difficult to read because there is- are so many ideas packed in here and it's funny and it's funny you you've made a comment and a few people in uh in church and life group and stuff like that have have, have been talking about the book of hebrews mm. and uh you know it's gotten out that book of hebrews is one of my favorite books and a few people have come to me and said gee it's a complicated book and, and i'm like mm. I, I don't really find it complicated i find first peter yeah, this is actually really complicated really yeah. really well, complicated well, hebrews is complicated in terms of the the theology, yeah. because it goes right into the whole temple system. And, yes. and so if you're not really familiar with that and the references to the Old Testament, yes, that can be really complicated. Yes. This is complicated for another reason, because it's actually structurally quite complicated. Yeah. It's, it's not a lot easy of, to It read. feels like a lot of random ideas just thrown out there. Well, it's partly because it's so condensed yes. and it's packed in here. Yeah. But as I pulled this apart, I mean, I... I pulled out some sort of main ideas and and and, and I I actually came away with a with a a sort of a a picture that really impacted me uh, a lot. I mean, first of all, he talks about us being exiles, right? Yes. So journeying on earth but citizens of heaven, okay? Mm-hmm. It's like remember who you are, citizens of heaven. Then he talks about um, he says that we were regener- regenerated or born again. Um, so that we could receive a heavenly inheritance. So he's, he's pointing away yep. from here and now. Yes. He's yes. pointing to something future and heavenly. And then he, he goes on to say that we're guarded, that God guards us through faith for our future salvation. Yes. Because um, he says in verse 5, uh, who, are being, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I mean, that's an interesting idea because we think, well, we have salvation. Yes, we do. But the fullness of that salvation is still future. Like, let's not forget, this isn't it. This is, is yeah. not what we have now isn't the be-all and end-all. Mm. Um, there are a lot of difficulties about, about this because we still live in a corrupt body, in a corrupt world, broken body, broken world, broken nature. And Peter wants us to use that the pain of that brokenness yes. in ourselves and in the world to actually point us beyond and remind us, you know what? Let's not get too comfortable here. Let's not. Let's have this the right kind of dissatisfaction mm. about this, mm. so that we don't get too homely here. Yeah. Let's remember we're, we're strangers here in a foreign land. Oh, it, 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 that that part of it is beautiful, and the fact that he talks. There's a lot of talk about holiness and what that actually yes. is. Yes, a lot of talk about what. In the meantime, yes, it's there's a lot about in. So in the meantime, yes. he talks about he spends a fir- to, in my mind when I think of First Peter, I think he spends the first couple of chapters basically talking about uh, the position of believers, the yeah. mindset we should have as believers, yeah. the worldview, yeah. as it were, we should yeah, have as yeah. believers, and it should be a worldview that is sitting in heaven, right? Yeah, like yeah, we should be very right. heavenly yeah. minded, and we think. You know, we got this idea. Yeah. Okay, so for this heavenly-minded, we're these aliens. We've got, you know, yeah. a thing about heaven. You know, we're going to live in this dramatic lifestyle, and it's going to be all this. No, 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 no. You submit yourself to everything. You become the lowest yeah. of the yeah. low here yeah. because it's not about here. It's and so it's, good. And it's, it's so upside down. I'm yeah, like, yeah. this is really, really difficult, especially yeah. in the light of persecution and stuff. Yeah, so, I, I mean, he it. even he even talk says that we re- that in the meantime we can rejoice despite yeah. our trials, yeah. because of that hope that we have. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he goes on to, to say that um, basically in, he talks about our rejoicing in these trials because our faith is proven and will be celebrated. It's like these these trials are actually proving your faith and again points to the future and that's going to be celebrated yeah. in the future. Yeah. So it's like live with a constant sense of the celebration at the end keep mm. looking to that and uh and he, and he made, i love the yeah. there's a grandiosity of of peter and i know i know people like to you know characterize 
um, you know, different personalities in in the in mm. the in you know in the characters of the Bible, and Peter yeah. and Peter gets a caricature of this like mm. rough as guts sailor boy, yeah. hairy. You know, he's often depicted very hairy. He's a man of Galilee. He's putting his foot in his mouth. He's a leader amongst the guys. He's the loudmouth amongst them. Mm. And and the reason why that's a caricature, I think, is probably probably going to be true. Like it's probably true. Yeah. Um, but I tell you what, he he. That that same type of personality that enabled him to do all the things that we read about in 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 the Gospels and in the Book of Acts, when it comes for him to write the letters to the churches here, he uses that same wildness and in language, in yeah. painting these dramatic pictures and really putting the stakes so oh, high. Yeah, yeah, really putting the stakes. And I love it. Right in chapter one, at the beginning of chapter one, he's like he talks about <clears throat> those who are believing. Who have never seen Jesus? You didn't get to see him like I did, yeah, and yet right. you believe, yeah. and you're you're more special yeah. because you did. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, and then in in this overarching picture of keeping keeping on pulling them into the bigger picture of everything, he says, "Listen, the prophets mm. didn't understand." <clears throat> yeah, and he talks about the spirit of Christ and the prophets yeah. were. They didn't understand mentally what the spirit of Christ was telling them as a prophet. Yeah. That this thing was going to happen with you people. Yeah. And now it's happening. Not only they didn't understand and now it's happening, but the angels in heaven are sort of leaning in. Yeah. Going, like you're part of something amazing. Yeah. And it's, it, it paints the picture yeah. so big at the beginning. I love it. I love it. And, and this thing that's happening, you know, so you're part of something that's amazing. And this thing that is happening is is this is this kingdom of heaven thing. I mean, it's this heavenly reality. Mm. And so live in that. Like, don't get drawn down to the things of the world. So the big therefore, there's a big therefore in verse 13 of chapter 1. You know, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's like, look to the future. Like, be sober-minded, ready for action, but look towards the future. And, and And don't be conformed. Yeah. to your former ignorance. And yeah. now this is why we, we think that he's probably writing to a mostly Gentile church because yes. former ignorance, you, you probably wouldn't say that about a Jewish exactly. uh, people. Um, but there's this sense of you've stepped into something new, you've stepped up, so don't be conformed to that. Yeah. So there's this strong kind of polarisation that this letter makes between being a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the world. Mm. Don't be conformed to that kind of citizenry. Mm. Be conformed uh, to the heavenly ideal. But I, I also love. I also love. We should take a break here as we begin chapter one. We will in a sec. But the the uh, the idea. There's a concept here that Peter seems so comfortable to live in. That the prophets of the early times of, of the Old mm. Testament prophets were sort of saying to God. We don't understand these messages. And it yeah. says that they were told, that God told them by the Spirit, that these messages aren't for you, they're for the future people. Yeah. And they were comfortable yeah. to live in that, yeah. not yeah. for themness. Yeah, we don't fully know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. but it's this concept of they, of them going, okay, I trust you, God. I'm on. Yeah. I'm in your yeah. purpose. I'm going to, it's not for me. Yeah. I'll live this out. And then we get the same sort of tiny little bit of this sort of not for themness in the angels. That mm. the angels don't know exactly what's going on. They're not these yeah. omnipotent creatures that sometimes we think, and they're watching these things happening, going, "Whoa, what is going on here? That yeah. God is doing something yeah. new." And I love again this big picture, this mysteriousness mm. of you know that Peter is happy to 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 let us live in. That it's not about us. Mm. That there's a much bigger thing yeah, going that's on. That's right. And enables us to live this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah that's ah. right. It's great. It's great stuff. Oh, it's great stuff. Okay, so here we are. We've entered into Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's take a break. We'll be back as we go into some of the things that uh, this uh, bold apostle calls us to in uh, Thrive Deeper. words for you sons of Korah 
That's right, Matthew Jacoby's band that he's led for over 20 years now, and they've released a slew of fantastic albums. We've got an amazing offer that you can pick up any album from Sons of Korra that you want, any product from Sons of Korra, whether that's digital or physical, for half price, 50% off the total value of your order. You could order one CD, you could order a hundred. It doesn't matter, 50% off, it's all yours. Now, last week I shared some of my favorite Sons of Chorus songs, especially from their early catalog. And uh, that got a fantastic uh, feedback. Thank you to everybody who reached out and let us know about that. So I thought, why don't I share some of the newer songs of their last three albums that I really like. So let's kick it off with this. This is from their 2011 album, Wait. This is Psalm 19. There is no speech Nor any language where their voice is not heard Their voice, it goes Psalm 19 from 2011's Wait. Another song, an absolute classic, is Psalm 23, an incredibly popular psalm. This is from their 2014 album, Refuge. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in pastures of green. He leads me gently to water still, and He restores my soul. That was Psalm 23 from Refuge, and now let's have a listen from 2017's Fractures album. This is Psalm 68. Part E. That's right, Part E. The God of Israel, He gives His power and His strength to us. Halle, halle, halleluja. Halle, halle, halleluja. Halle, halle, halleluja. Halle, halle, halleluja. hope that gave you a little bit of the taste of the diversity that is the Sons of Korra experience. You can get 50% off any purchase from Sons of Korra if you use the code THRIVETODAY50. That's all one word, THRIVETODAY50. THRIVETODAY50. Write that down, head over to sonsofkorra.com, click on shop, and then on their online store. Now, wherever you are in the world, this is available to you, whether it's a physical CD or whether it's a digital download. 50% off whatever you want. A couple of things to note, that you can only use this offer once and this offer expires on Friday, October 25th, 2019. So head over to sonsacora.com, go to their online store and use the code THRIVETODAY50. 50% off, a fantastic opportunity. Maybe it's time to buy some presents for Christmas. All right, now back to Thrive Deeper and First Peter. Welcome back to Thrive Deeper, episode 69, where we are looking at 1 Peter, the first letter from uh, this uh, amazing, bold apostle, the apostle Peter here, Simon Peter himself. 
and we're just getting into chapter one. We're sort of painting this big picture about what this is all about, Matt. Now, as you are entering in, uh, you know, chapter one and two, the the opening gambit here in this in this epistle, wh- what has struck you the most? What is what has really jumped out at you? Well, as I said last time, it's the this polarization that he creates um, between our life now and what is future, and and he he creates this contrast like um, to identify the temporality of now and you're just temporary residents yeah you're temporary temporary residents and and it just really struck me because i feel particularly for us i mean we really make our home here you know because we can we can we can actually build an impressive life here i mean he's writing to a group of people that probably have been displaced um they're they're having a really hard time and he says well you know what it's only temporary because something much better is happening. Now, I think the problem with us is that we get really rooted down here because we make ourselves really comfortable and we build these lifestyle, you know, the great Australian lifestyle. Yeah. Or the great American dream or, yeah, the, or however the, you want to put yeah, it. Exactly, wherever it is, and, yes. And, and so, you know, we, we really make uh, – we, we really put our roots down here in, in a way I think that can be unhealthy when actually it was enormously helpful – for me to be reminded of this and reminded that um, that I need to live my life like a visitor, mm-hmm. you know. And, and this is how, um, you know, Peter uh, basically wants these people to, to live in the world like visitors. We're just visiting here. Yeah. Like don't just don't get too don't get too comfortable. Yeah. I mean, and these people aren't very comfortable. But that's okay because you're just passing through. You're like campers, you know. Um, Passing through this, and oh, it's just—I think that's so healthy for us. And and it's such a reoccurring—it's a reoccurring underlying message through the whole book. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, he keeps talking about you know, uh, I think it's in in verse twenty three also of of chapter one. It was like, you know, you're building a life. He's talking about like the stones type of thing. You're building a life. Mm. Eh, it's not here on earth. You yeah. know, like it's for, it's something not short, not a short life. Yeah. He's not, not a temporary, like he keeps using, you know, remember there's grass, it's going to fade. Like he, he just keeps yeah, using yeah. all of these words about, about how things are so temporary. And and I tell you what, Matt, reading this um, in preparation for this, you know, in the last, uh, you know, 24 hours, getting ready mm. to record this episode, it's, it's so funny how God makes, you know, time, mm. you know, the timing of everything, yeah. you know, when he brings the word to you at the right time. I couldn't sleep last night. Um, I went to bed very late and I couldn't sleep. And I was, you know, it might have been from the movies I was seeing and watching or the food <laughs> I was eating. I don't know. Maybe it was the spirit of God. I don't know. Uh, but I I was praying to God about my legacy, mm. which is wow. okay. what, a, yeah. what a pretentious thing to pray, you know, in one yeah, sense, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, one yeah, sense, yeah. in one sense, especially in the light of Peter, mm-hmm. in, in that sense. But... It's because I, I'm I, I'm doing some big picture thinking and everything in my in my mind and what I what I'm investing in and what am I doing with my time and what do I want people to think of when they think of my name what do they what do I want to be associated with Mm-mm. all these type of big things mm. and I was really wrestling with it and sort of saying okay God I really I'm I'm throwing this out to you because I don't know I'm at a loose end the next day I start reading Peter. And I just laugh at myself. Yeah. I can hear the Apostle Peter laughing at me going, yeah, yeah your legacy, schmegacy. Yeah. Like yeah. you're part of a much bigger picture that you yeah. have no idea about, yeah. son. This is huger than yeah, you. This right. is, goes yeah. on for eternity. Yeah. And I just was like, oh, what a relief. Yeah. What a relief. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we can't, I mean, the great thing is that we can, by, by being a part of God's purpose, we can have a, very positive legacy. Yes. But it's not about who we are. It's yeah, about who exactly, he is. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we, we talked about the polarising uh, thing in, in Chapter 1 that, you know, the world and that it's like we're citizens of heaven, not citizens of the world. This kind of polarity between worldly citizenship and heavenly citizenship yeah. is brought out in, in the rock uh, metaphor that's yes. drawn from the, from the Old Testament Chapter 2. So it's like he... For us, he says, uh, Christ is our cornerstone. Uh, but yes. for those who don't believe, uh, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. Oh. Like, 
there's this sense that Christ is this polarizing yeah. figure. Either it's just completely ridiculous. I mean, I, I can remember as a late teenager before I became a Christian, thinking, I can sort of see how God makes sense, but the whole Jesus thing, that is just ridiculous. I just, you know, it just seems so ridiculous until actually I, the, the, until there was a level of conviction in my life that I was able to see through my need. This is, Christ is, is exactly the one that I need. So, you know, and he became my cornerstone, whereas before he was my rock of stumbling. So that, yes. that sort of polarity, I, I get that. Yeah. Very much. Is it is and it isn't it a beautiful thing that you can go from tripping over that stone yeah, yeah. and then go to realizing, oh no, that is the anchor. Yeah. That is the whole reason, yeah. you know, like that's a beautiful picture. And he, he does you know, after doing you know, creating these polarities, you know, and the big one is the citizens of heaven and, and we need to continually look to that. He puts a lot of emphasis on who we are meant to be in the world. Mm. So it's not just where this yes. otherworldly yep. people who just bunker down and think about heaven. No, as it says here in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, oh, a holy nation of people for his own possession. So there's this sense um, that, I mean, the royal priesthood one is is a really strong idea. It has a very strong background. Mm. Um, it actually comes from Exodus 19 where he says, uh, talks about them God's people being a kingdom of priests. Mm. Even though at the time God would set aside the Levites to be the priesthood, yet before that happens, God says about his people generally, you actually are a kingdom of priests. Yes. And so Peter picks up this idea of a royal priesthood um, and applies it to these people, that you have a priestly role in the world. You are to be mediators of God's blessing. Now this is why he's saying you can't afford to uh, identify yourself so closely and get yes. so connected with the world, you need to stay connected with the things of heaven because you are the channels through which God wants to um, bring the things of heaven to bear on the things of earth and, mm. and to, to speak to people yeah. this heavenly message. I, I, again, I can't help but connect, having come you know, just a few weeks ago from the book of Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews mm. talking about Jesus as yep. our priest mm. and talking about him in the line of Melchizedek and yep. all this amazing stuff, just having looked at all the priesthood stuff, yep. when he talks about you are royal priests and, you know, you are a priesthood yep. type of thing, you're a nation, you know, echoing yep. back to those things. Wow. It, it just, yeah. and, you know, and then he talks about, you know, because we have Jesus as our mediation, yeah. we're able to bring our sacrifices, our yeah. spiritual life as a yeah. sacrifice to him. Yeah. So rich, yeah. so rich. And this this actually then forms the context for, you know, the, the, the next part. I mean, he, he talks again about, um, uh, he, he goes back to this idea, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain yes. from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this is now going to lead into... that's He's gone from the big picture, livers, visitors here. Yeah. It's like respectful visitors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but keep your, it's like keep your integrity here yeah. um, and make sure that your conduct amongst the Gentiles in the world is honourable right yeah. now. This is the thing then that leads into the next section. And it's really, really important that we understand this next block of teaching in the light of this. Okay, so before you get into this, there's a phrase that he uses. And you, we're, we're reading, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. You're in the ESV, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, that In that end of verse 12 there, He's talking yeah. about how we're living in front of unbelievers yeah. and they see our honourable behaviour. And then he finishes off with, and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. Mm. Break that down for me because I, I spent some time thinking about that when I read it and I was like, hang on, when God judges the world and, the, and you know, the, the lost are being judged by God, mm. is, is, is Peter saying, they're going to give honour to God because they have seen our lifestyle. It doesn't mean that by well, giving honour to God they're going to be believers because he's saying they're unbelievers. In a specific sense. Okay. They're, they're, yeah. It's, this is in a specific sense. So he's saying, uh, so they speak against you as evildoers, which, yes. and this is the, where the background, I'm going to talk to this background in a moment. Yep. They're being accused of this and that and that and they're disrupting society and and so they're persecuting 
you for this. But on the day of visitation, God is going to, you know, they are going to see that they're wrong, right? So live in a way that they are wrong. You know what I mean? Like live in a way so as to vindicate the fact that you actually are God's people and that will bring glory to God on the day of visitation. You know, it's like you, you, you will, you, is that you being in having integrity yes. and having no reason for them to blame you yes. will vindicate God's judgment of them and, and the fact that you are vindicated on that final day. Like it's, yeah. it will show God to be right. In the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically what that's saying. Is, is it a little bit? Is it a little bit like? <laughs> is it a little bit like vindictive, or is it a little bit like? Well, you know? well, again, you see what what this is doing is again pointing them forward. Yeah. Like, they are falsely accusing you, and it's really bad. Like, it's really hard to live with that with this stuff. You know, when you've been falsely accused, you've been punished for something that that is that you're not culpable of. So, but he's saying. But don't expect justice in this lifetime. Live, hold your integrity. Yes. Because, and he points us points them to the day of visitation, the day of judgment. Yes. When justice is coming. So again, this is another way of pointing forwards okay. to the future. Okay, I love it. Yeah. Okay, got so, it. so you know, in the meantime, I mean, and and the as I said, the emphasis here is keep your conduct among the Gentiles mm. honourable, and then. You know, alludes to the fact that they are speaking against them as evildoers. Now, one of the one of the things um, that the Christians were accused of was being socially disruptive, right? Yeah. Because there was a certain order to Roman society, uh, and the order was th- there were strong class order for a start. Yes. Um, slaves were inherently less valuable, and they just. You know, they they had to stay where they were and shouldn't think they were. They, were, they needed to understand that they were the bottom of the bottom. Uh, women needed to understand they're inferior to men. Uh, you know, it's like, and then um, now the problem that they had with the Christians is that the Christians ab- abolished all of these dividing lines. I mean, you've got their celebrating communion. You've got masters and slaves and men and women and different nationality classes all, all, coming, all coming together and meeting at the same. Uh, table now we think oh isn't that wonderful well they didn't think that this was wonderful yeah. they thought this is this is actually disrupting uh, the order of society yes. I mean the slaves are going to get ideas if they if here are these slaves being told that they are inherently as valuable in the eyes of God as the masters you know and I mean there's a lot of implications to that mm. uh, and they were concerned about those implications so so there was there were these and, and of course, uh, you know, women were seen as uh, equal to men in the Christian community, and yes. so uh, the f- structure of the household in Roman society, you know, most because there were lots of different religions that came in from the east and whatever, and all of them were tended to be judged and assessed, legalized by, are they going to disrupt? Society, and that was judged on what, what does the household look like? How do you structure your household? You know, yes. And is this going to be disruptive uh, to to our society? So, um, what Peter, the teaching about slaves and and then women here needs to be understood in a kind of apologetic context. Yes. Right. Um, and let's talk about the slaves one uh, first. Um, because he's saying, and this is kind of controversial, because a lot of people say, "Well, Peter's just advocating Sla- this terrible slave slave situation," you know, yeah. because he says in verse eighteen, "Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust." And this looks like Peter is advocating for slavery, but in fact, what he wants to do, he's he this is. There's something bigger than he ha- that he has in mind here, is that he is less concerned about changing the institution. He's interested in reaching the hearts of people, and he wants slaves to take it on the chin and repay back good for evil, so as to bear witness to Christ, so that these people will see Christ in them and see yeah. the difference that Jesus makes. Yeah. So. 
I mean, this is where this is really tough stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, it's, but it's also is it is it should we should we interject here? This is coming under again. He's already set up. We got to keep in mind. Yeah. Number one, we are temporary residents here. This is not the final thing. This yeah, yeah. down here is not is not the final reality dimension or whatever yeah, you, yeah. however you want to call it. Time, even the time that we live in, is not where we. And then he his first point is. Respect authority. Respect the people that are ruling over you. You know, actually, they're going to accuse you of things, but, res- but live yeah, respectfully. Yeah. And and the first thing that he comes to, like you say, is slaves. Now, we hear slaves, and in the culture that we live in, our minds go to a stereotype that we that we've grown up with about yeah. you know American slaves, African American slaves, you know, mm. in the American South in a particular period of time. Mm. But slavery was a different. You know, mm. there's a lot of of different yeah. slavery. That is a big picture here. Now, again, I'm not trying to weaken it down or make out that yeah. slaves were having a ball, you no. know, type of thing or anything like that. I'm not trying to make mm. out anything like that. But I'm saying it's not as uh, black and white as we mm. want to make out. Is that, is that, is that a Yeah, is that a, interesting what? use of words there given uh, what yeah, slavery the, has, has been yes. uh, in, you know, in the last sort of few hundred years. That's it. Uh, but, yes, it is true. Slavery was slightly different. I mean, there, there are similarities. Obviously, oh. there are probably more important similarities. Like it, 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 it is in a way a bad thing, but it was uh, in this society. Um, slaves were part of a household. So you think in, in a in a Roman society, households were not just the parents but the servants as well. And and um, when he references servants here. They a lot of them probably were slaves, but they not necessarily. I mean, they they were different sort of levels, and and um, and it was much more woven into the structure of society. And these slaves really belonged to these households. Sure, often they were mistreated, and Peter, you know, kind of alludes to that can yes. be the fact, but that wasn't always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, and, and this is the point here, it was so much part of the structure of Roman households and the slaves that if things got turned upside down, everyone thought that everyone was equal to everyone else. Well, where does the order... I mean, Romans are constantly paranoid that society... I mean, they did so much to try to keep a lid on the populace and they had enormous territories and so stability was the name of the game. Yes. And... You know, I mean, the famous thing in the Gospels is Pilate's efforts to keep st- what he had to do and allow the Jews to do to keep stability yeah. there, you know. Yeah. So stability, f- you know, the stability of the household unit is all important. So in a sense, what um, Peter is talking about here is let's let's keep this stability. And and the early Christians wanted to always were trying, and you see this in the early apologists, they retorted to these accusations by saying, no, actually, Christians make the best citizens. Wow. We make the best citizens wow. because we're not, we're not here to rebel. We're not, you know, and again, it's seen as dangerous because they're gathering in large groups. Boy, yes. oh, this looks like, is this a slave rebellion? A lot of them are slaves, you know, yes. is there something going on here? No, Peter's, and here Peter is saying, let them have no cause for complaint. Like, let's actually show that you're going to be more submissive, not less submissive. Wow. because, And not because slavery itself is good or, or, or your mistreatment is good, but because you're through bearing up under your mistreatment, there's actually you are going to witness to something. Like there's something, it's not just about you. Yeah. Like we are vessels to actually say something about Jesus. Mm. And so he's saying here that we need to... Look, and it's a difficult message because these people are in a circumstance that we can't imagine. Yeah. So he's saying, look, you've got to look beyond yourself. Yeah. Remember, you are on mission and that mission needs to be put before everything. It needs to be put before what you think your rights are. You think, I'm going to fight for my rights in this situation. No, actually, your rights aren't the most important thing in this situation. Mm. It's not like, and this is not devaluing human rights or any, you know, because we need to fight for human rights and all those sorts of things. Now, this is talking to in individuals saying, "Let's. the most important thing is not your rights but your mission. And sometimes that mission includes you uh, 
bearing up under oppression and mistreatment and witnessing back kindness and grace yeah. and not fighting for your rights yeah. to a greater end of witnessing to a new kind of life. It's it's pretty full it's, on. It's, it's tough stuff, actually. It, it's pretty full on. But this is the beauty of when we look back at the last 2,000 years of history and it comes to the, to the Christian church, this is why the Christian church can be found in every culture, yeah. in every community yeah. around the world. And it looks like the yeah. culture that they're yeah. in because it's not disrupt it doesn't disrupt the culture it subverts elements yeah. belief elements in the culture but it doesn't disrupt yes society it, it, it doesn't dis- disrupt society as in like political overthrow or cultural tear down it actually enriches the cultures that it comes to and makes the cultures better yeah and and i and i love the fact that even in one of the most culturally hard issues for us to wrap our minds around mm. the area of slavery yep. and servitude and, and indebted, you know, servants and the people who were born into a household and that was your lot in life. You know, Peter, you know, through through the Holy Spirit, Peter is telling us, even in the worst case scenario in this, when you are beaten for doing good, you know, you're yeah. beaten in the worst possible, possible yeah, way, yeah. endure it, you're doing it for a bigger picture and God's happy with you. Yeah, and it's like, it's really, oh boy. Yeah, and 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 interestingly here, I mean, there's this commendation of them because basically saying that you slaves, you're more like Jesus than anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's just because yeah. Jesus came and and bore up under this suffering. Like he was, he was prioritizing his mission and purpose over his rights, as yeah. it were. Oh. And so you are when you are in this situation of suffering these injustices for the sake of your mission to bear witness uh, in that situation, that you, you are more like Jesus than anyone. I mean, there's a, it's a high commendation here. And this, of course, then relates and flows on to, uh, chapter, uh, to chapter 3. Yes. Where he then talks about uh, wives and husbands. Now... Because, the, the, you know, being being uh, politically incorrect and culturally insensitive yeah. in, in 2019 is not enough talking uh, about it's slavery. Enormous. This is enormous. We, yeah. We've got to talk now about the, the, yeah. the male and female role, roles of the yeah, household, right. wives and husbands. And this is, in, this is enormously counter-cultural counter uh. uh, for us and, and politically, politically incorrect. But we need to understand actually what Peter's concerned about and what he's doing here. Yes. See, we need to understand the context. So he says in verse 3... Um, and I'll read from the NIV. I've got both translations in front of me. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. So, uh, and then it goes, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Mm. Now, um, the situation here, is, this is difficult because in a Roman household, in, in the Roman Empire, the wife was expected to follow the religion of the husband. Mm. So when a wife came to faith, uh, this was problematic, okay? If a wife came to faith, it caused issues in the home. And um, the basically what Peter is saying is that the antagonism that her faith might produce has to be endured for the sake of Christ, uh, for the possible conversion of her husband. Um, and... So he's saying, don't like you. Uh, that's going to cause antagonism in, in the home. Now you don't back away from your faith because of that antagonism, mm. but you need to. So, so it's not. He's actually speaking to a particular circumstance yes, here, yes, yes. where coming to faith causes this antagonism, and Peter is again like with the slaves. He's saying, you know what, take it on the chin. I mean, I mean this is a hard one because. Uh, uh, you know, he's not. I mean, he's not saying be a walkover, or um, and we've got to be careful how we apply this because this is antagonism because of their faith. Mm. He's not just mm. talking about uh, physical. In fact, he does um, tell husbands to honour their wives as the weaker partner later yeah. on, and, yeah. and and actually the statement um, we honour them as the weaker part means he's actually speaking directly against physical abuse Yes, uh, there. So yep. that's dealt with later on in the chapter. Yeah, But here, you know, the, the submission of the wife is, it's like just don't, um, don't let your faith 
um, uh, cause you to break out of these structures. Like you, you're going you're gonna to work within this uh, this structure, yes. and and you're going to witness to your husband. Like there's a bigger purpose here. Mm. Uh, so, um, and it's it, yeah. it, it, and I think it's still applicable. Like we, it's still applicable for those today who have a mixed marriage in the sense of a believer and a non-believer, yeah. which happens quite often. You yeah. know, in churches that a, a, a wife. Uh, will become a believer or come back to the Lord at some point and the husband either falls away or never believes at all. And for some, they will get really distraught or sometimes so passionately, you know, riled up with, um, you know, the the pursuit of, of, of wanting mm. to be right that it ends up ending the marriage. Yeah. And then... What Peter is sort of arguing for here in the bigger picture mm. is you might be placed into this situation yeah. to honour this man yeah. in a way that he has to say, "Yeah, I have to, you know, right. this, this has transformed yeah. me. That's right. And, and look, I, I think this is even strong. I mean, we've seen, um, you know, in, uh, in uh, Ephesians, yes. talks about, you know, submit to one another. Wives submit to your husband. Husband loves your wives. You know, yeah. in self-sacrificially like Christ. This is actually going to another level. In in fact, in the ESV, it says, "Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands." So this, the, and the, the step further is saying, stay within those social. I mean, they're it's like with slavery, like they are imperfect social conventions, yeah. but it's not. Our mission is not to break uh, these social conventions, like. Uh, we're actually to win people over. And then really the end result of that, by winning people's hearts and changing people's hearts, that ends up um, changing the social things anyway, yes. the situation. It's like an inside-out approach. Uh, so so the, the point is here as, as Christians, let's not, let's not try to impose change in a forceful kind of yeah. way. Yeah. Let's... Be mission focused. Let's win people over through love and grace. Let's work, and and I mean here in you know Peter's basically saying to slaves and to wives, work within these structures. I know they're hard. Mm. Work within them. Win people over. Like win, because it's not again. It's not about your rights, and and it's about you winning people over with your uh, with your. Testimony and yeah. your example, and yeah. so that's that's really what's going. And I know that's still hard. I know it's a oh. hard message because it's like, oh, but they shouldn't, you know, be be walked over. And again, he's he's not saying that. He's just saying, just remember, there's something more important yeah. uh, than our rights. Yeah, yeah, our, yeah, 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 that's right. And and it's interesting where he goes from here. And this also is because this also needs to be seen in this context. He says in verse three, uh, do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and putting on of gold and jewelry wearing you know so in, in the niv it says your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes rather it should be uh, that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit now again there's a there's a cultural issue here as well yes because outward adornments in roman times were often perceived as instruments of seduction mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and a woman's use of cosmetics often had this association of sort of deception with that. Mm-hmm. So there is this kind of cultural association. Now the problem with this is that in the context of a believing wife and a non-believing husband, she goes out of the house that like she's going off to meet with the other Christians, which they did regularly. And if she goes up dolled up to the nines, it's like, well, how dodgy does this look? You know, I mean, it's it's clearly, uh, it just clearly looks completely wrong. So, as part of what he's been saying, about, as part of bearing witness, and come on, let's let's not make this harder than it needs to be. Um, th- there's this cultural element to that too, um, where uh, you know, so- society would perceive that uh, already her going out without her husband or something that. Already yes. would be perceived as questionable. Yes, but by leaving her home uh, unadorned, her intent to attend worship rather than you know yeah. 
an affair or something yeah. would presumably be all the more clear. So and, and then and then I love that I love that and again this is one of those pictures that Peter uses often in in the book here is tying the new Christians and the, especially the Gentile Christians into the Old Testament and into the into grafting us into you know the to the stories of old and he then says Listen, you will be Sarah's daughters. Yeah. You will be like Abraham and yeah. Sarah. You will be her like her yeah. daughters. If you obey, if you be meek, you know, if you be quiet, yeah. if you lead this lifestyle. And then he uses uses that phrase at the end before he speaks about humbers. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands will yeah. do to you. Yeah, that's right. So even in the worst yeah. case scenario, you're doing what is right in, in the bigger picture, in this yeah. idea of God. And don't live in fear of what what the husband will do. And there's a, I think there's a quiet revolution in that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you know, it, it is it is very revolutionary. Yeah. Because what happens out of this is is a complete uh, upturning mm. of values, and 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 it really is an inside out kind of revolution. And you know, the the reference to uh, Sarah here um, shows that even though there's a particular cultural uh, situation going on here that makes this specific advice all the more important. Yet there are general principles here that are important for all. It's like um, the principle of submitting to one another, of humility. Mm. Well, that's going to, in any situation, that's applicable. Yeah. The principle of let's not focus on outward uh, things, let's focus on inward things. Let's focus on inward character and not how we look outwardly to people. Th- those are bits of general advice that apply in any culture, really, I, I would suggest. Exactly. So, Well, let's finish important. up with this. We're, ru- we're madly running out of time. We don't want to leave it with the w- it's sitting in the women's laps here this, today. <laughs> we need to leave it, you know, as two husbands ourselves here. Yeah. We need to serve up us husbands. And Peter does this in a, in just one verse, yeah. y- you know, in, in First Peter here in chapter 3, in verse 7, in the same way you husbands must give honour. So in the same way... As yep. the wives are doing it, living yep. in this in this attitude, you husbands must give honour to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Yep. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Yeah, so this goes the other way. This um, goes to well, – well, this is not just husbands of unbelieving wives. This is just yes. ge- generally husbands. Yeah. So, so the first thing there – and again, it's easy to miss this. He makes the point, and this is in the ESV, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel. So that's actually, he's uh, he's speaking to physical abuse. Do, do not take advantage of her of her weakness. Is it, uh, is it, I was also, have I got this like, wrong? And I'm talking about physic, being physically Str- yeah. Uh, weaker. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, being physically yeah. weaker. But is there also a sense here with that phrase, you know, the weaker vessel, is that it's a more precious Vessel, or have I got that? I've yeah, got that from yeah, yeah. But 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 I think he is concerned about about physical abuse. Like okay. you, you that, that's now you, you don't do that. Yes, that's not how we do things. Okay, okay. You honor her because she is the weaker vessel. And yes, there is that sense of preciousness to that. Mm-hmm. Now he goes on to say, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of life mm-hmm. in the ESV. Now this is important because he's making a very strong statement in a society. Uh, where women were seen as inferior, he's saying they are co-heirs. Now that that's a really loaded statement. Now you think about an heir in in this society. An heir is like the the son, the eldest son, is the heir. Yeah. Well, he's saying you both of you, man and woman, you are co-heirs. Yeah. So this is enormously countercultural statement mm. here that he's making with respect to the equality mm. of the sexes. It's this wonderfully subversive thing that's happening here. And it would lead, of course, to it was, I mean, people think that slavery was abolished first in uh, the early 1800s, late 1700s, early 1800s under Wilberforce and yeah. so forth. Uh, slavery was actually first time abolished in the Middle Ages. And it, and it grew out of, um, uh, it actually grew out of this Christian ethic. Yes. Um, and so eventually, uh, Eventually, I mean, of course, things went backwards again. But you know, eventually, the institu- these institutions would be completely uh, turned around. But it happened from the inside out, yeah. and that's the important thing. Um, so, uh, so I think this 
that there are the keys here, and this is so much like the teaching of Jesus, isn't it? Yes. I mean, Jesus was just constantly saying, no, we're not, we're not going to impose change in a forceful way on the world. Mm. It's going to be like yeast spreading through the dough. <laughs> it's going to be like a little seed yeah. that grows into a great tree. So it's going to be slow, but it's going to be absolutely unstoppable and it's going to permeate everything. And so this is what Peter's talking about here. Like it's going to be like slow and hard. It's going to involve love, self-sacrifice and grace. Like this is the mission. And, and I think this is, this is just so important for us to get this message. And, and I've been so convicted by this because we can just be far too focused on ourselves, our rights, what we want to get out of life. Life is all about God's mission. And we're here, we're sojourners, we're visitors, we've got something to do, then we're going to go back to God. And that's when we receive the fulfillment uh, of our desires. And uh, it's like, that to me is so important, that perspective, because perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. I think Matthew summed it up perfectly for us there. I told you at the beginning of the episode that the Apostle Peter was going to challenge us with the way that we see the world. He was going to call us to lift our eyes a little bit higher, and I think he's done exactly that. Now, if you haven't got your hands on a copy of the Thrive Daily Bible Reading Guide, then I challenge you to go over to thrivetoday.net.au. That's our website online, thrivetoday.net.au, our home on the internet. And you can order your copies from there. You can get in contact with us, ask us questions, or get any information you need. That's our home on the internet, thrivetoday.net.au. Now, I also need to let you know, sonsofcora.com is where you head. Head to the shop there at sonsofcora.com, the online store. Use the code THRIVE. Today 50, that's Thrive Today 50 for 50% off. We'll see you next week on Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you were reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au. Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's word and thrive.